0: One out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, struck three, called. To the knees, and right down the middle of the
1: plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go. Stay
2: out in the Hello, and welcome to Autographs. This is episode eight. I'm Tom Altrzyzewski, and I'm joined tonight by Trey Bonn and Justin Viver. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, Tom. I'm doing great. Cool. All right. Well, tonight we wanted to talk about something um, actually extended a little from what we touched on in episode seven, which is the idea of how do you judge your team early in the season? Um, how do you kind of look at the early standings if your team is doing really well or really poorly? What does that mean for you? Do you buy? Do you sell? And so on. We also wanted to talk a little about a tool that can help you with that. The uh, standings dashboard, which Trey and Justin collaborated on over the course of about the past year uh, to make a really cool tool that can help you look at that. Um, But first off, just let's talk a little bit about how do you judge those early standings? Trey, why don't you start off? What do you look for in the early standings as you're trying to manage your team for the year?
1: I love how we get. Right down to business around here. It's just, there's no, (laughs) there's no play time. It's just, it's all robotic.
0: We we got things to talk about. We don't have a lot of time. We got to get to it.
1: We're on the clock tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, The standings this early, you know, this is uh, the third, fourth week of April. Um, I would say that in the month of, of April, really anything can happen. I was just looking at the leaderboards for different players and you still see guys with Uh, BABIPs uh, approaching 500. And you see uh, all kinds of different things with, with some of these players. So it definitely is early and the sample is small. And that applies not only to players, but to your team as well. I do think there are some things that you can look at, some indicators that might make some sense as far as where your team is headed. And I think we'll talk about in the dashboard. But I guess the big overall point here, especially for those that have not played auto new in a points league in particular is don't panic. A lot of things can happen. You may have made some big trades and they haven't really had time to materialize in your lineup. A lot of things can happen from here on out. So be careful about overreacting. Uh, That's, that's what I would say for right now.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, um, you know, I think the one area where I might be paying more attention to the early standings is injuries. You know, if you're a team that had Schwarber and AJ Pollock, and you know you've lost a couple guys that that maybe were a big part of your team, um, I think that that would be more of an indication to me that maybe I need to reassess. You know, my chances of winning. Um, but if I, if, you, if you just have a poor start. And all your guys are still reasonably healthy and you still, you know, you were confident you were going to be competitive going into the season and you just had a bad month. I agree with Trey. It's it's way too early uh, to panic. It's way too early to, you know, make moves that uh, you're going to regret because you, you kind of jumped the gun. But at the same time, the other thing you have to keep in mind is we're seeing it already. There are a lot of big trades going down across these leagues. Um, so you will see some trades go down and it might put a little pressure on you to say, Hey, maybe I got to keep up with the Joneses a little bit because my, my competition is improving and I'm, how long do I have to wait? How long do I keep treading water before I have to make a decision? So, um, I think now it's too early to really stress about that. But as we get into May, um, over the next two or three weeks, maybe, um, I think you start to, to get a little bit more pressure on at least having an idea about you know, the focus of your, or your team going forward. So.
2: Yeah, I think you made a really good point about injuries too, being like the one thing that might cause you to make a little faster decision. Uh, I wrote about that a little in my piece on injuries um, on Rotographs week or two ago now Yeah, that a lot of times, if you're in a position where you're kind of looking to tread water and then you have some key injuries that kind of forces you to make a decision more quickly, whether you replace the guy or whether you just kind of throw in the towel. So um, I think one of the things that we would all agree can really help you with judging how your team is doing this early is the the um, standings dashboard. So Trey, I think you were kind of the first creator of the standings dashboard. Can you talk a little about
1: kind of where it kind of came from and how it works? Sure. Well, a couple of years ago, I noticed, or I guess I realized that the standings inside of AutoNew didn't give me all the details that I wanted. I was I'm, I'm micromanaging my team, trying to figure out all the details I can to, to see you know where my team ranks. Because I think the challenge is, especially for someone new, is you know at this stage in April, you have teams that are overloaded on innings. Really, innings are the things that kind of throw things out of balance. So you might see a team in the first place, and I think somebody made a comment on an article about this recently. But you'll see a team in first place that has thrown almost 200 innings already. And the the best team in the league, theoretically, could be in seventh or eighth place right now. They might have just over 125 innings or something like that. And most of what I think Justin and I will talk about here about the dashboard is related to points leagues and in particular FanGraph points, but we can touch on Roto too. But innings, you know, it's hard to really overdo the games at this point. Everybody's kind of on track for the same amount, but if you've thrown a ton of pitchers up front in these uh, first few weeks, you could have a sizable gap in points to the rest of the teams in your league, but eventually those teams will catch up or your team will fall back as you begin to scale back. So, for someone new listening, you can check on your lineups page or your team page and you can see kind of where you are because you'll see a little graph at the bottom that will show you the projected innings that you're throwing. And so with a cap of 1,500, if you're exceeding that into 1,800 or even 2,000, which is not all that abnormal right now because a few innings here or there can really skew the, the projection because it was so, so early. But that's why the standings are hard To decipher this early. So I created a dashboard that would sort of try to eliminate some of that white noise as far as the innings and try to get a better indication of of where teams are ranked. And so I guess I'll tee it off to Justin. I mean, maybe Justin kind of helped put some of the the details behind it. I kind of clean it up, and I think it's still a collaboration at this point, it's still a work in process but I think it can be helpful for teams that are trying to figure out where they are.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we've done with it is take a look at, cause we can pull in, uh, you, you enter your league number basically, and then it pulls in all the information automatically. Um, and one of the, the pieces of information that it brings in is every team's pace by position. So it, it'll show that I'm on pace for 750 outfield games where Tom might be on pace for 900. Um, And then the other thing it does is it'll, it'll check against each of those positional paces and say, well, Tom's on pace for 900, but the cap is eight ten, So we're not going to give him credit for basically that 90 games that we know he's never going to get that far because the cap is eight ten. So, um, it's all about taking that, that points per game and points per innings pitched sort of, um, combined power ranking and applying it to the correct amount of, of games and innings pitched, um, because the the other one, Trey's right that really it's pitching right now that causes the most uh, discrepancies. But you could also have a situation where there's a team that doesn't have a catcher, so they don't have they don't have any catcher catcher games right now. Um, but you know they're going to get some eventually. But it's not being factored into the sort of the pace that they're on because they'd have a zero pace on on catcher games. Um, and likewise, there's some teams that are running out Buster Posey and Travis Darnold, and maybe they've they're running closer to 200 and 220 uh, games pace at catcher. So. A lot of the math behind the, st- the dashboard was to, to look at all those positional caps and then sort of level the playing field to say, okay, if, if you stay on the same pace, we don't make any assumptions about your points per game or points per innings are going to go up or down from this point forward. But as of right now, if those numbers stay stable and you meet the caps, then this is what the final sort of pace numbers would be. Um, and that you know that's not a projection, that's just a sense of, Right now, if everyone had equal playing time and, and you know, was, was maximizing their, their caps and wasn't going over, here's what the standings would look like. Um, and that's important information to have because, as Trey mentioned, if you've thrown another extra 50 to 100 innings than, than other teams right now, you're going to be in first or second, and you may not actually be that strong of a team. Um, or, the, or the converse is true as well. If, if I've only thrown 100 innings and in, I know it's pretty easy for me to make those innings up, it may look like right now I'm in the lower third of the standings, but I know I'll be crawling up pretty quick because I have good, good ratios and, um, and I'll be able to, to catch up to everybody in front of me. So um, And that's a lot of what that, that dashboard tool is really designed to do is to show you, okay, here is really what everyone's on pace to do right now, making no assumptions about your team's going to get better because you have an injured guy and he's going to come back. I mean, the dashboard doesn't know that, but just based on what your numbers look like right now, uh, what your pace would be going forward. So,
2: Yeah, that that's an interesting that you use the word pace. I think um, just like you were mentioning about projections, the dashboard doesn't project necessarily what your team will do. Um, it's a little bit different than, say, the surplus calculator over the offseason that will try and give you an idea of how can your team perform uh, depending on how much money right. you're spending and how much you have, um, whereas the standings dashboard is much more of the pace. So say if you have Trevor Story on your team, you know, it might be telling you that your shortstop pace is amazing. Um, so I think you really do need to be careful to kind of look at the standings dashboard to see what your team is doing right now, but also to consider what were your expectations. So, you know, if you do own Trevor story, you probably didn't expect him to be on pace for like 30 or 40 home runs this early. Yeah,
0: I mean, and and that's a really important point as well. I mean, you see a lot of teams right now that they're at a points per game of six plus or points per innings pitched of six plus, And a lot of that's going to regress because teams just happen to have all the players that have had hot starts and that's not going to continue. Um, but you're exactly right that, the the tool, uh, the version that, that Trey's had and the versions that I've had in the past, um, in the current one, they, they don't know anything about the strength of your roster other than what your, your players have done so far. Um, or what, what your total team has done so far. Um, now I will say that this isn't something that Trey and I've talked about a lot, but, um, it's one of the things that I keep meaning to get in touch with him so that we can improve the dashboard is, is there's other ways that we can do that. We could add like a, you know, take their current points per game and points per innings pitched, regress it back to a league average, and then give like a regressed pace number um, that kind of brings everybody back to the pack. So there's a lot of different things we can do as far as like the math end of it um, to present different sort of painting different pictures of what the future could look like based on. You know, current pace or regressed pace or what if you max out all your caps or what if no, you're falling behind and and you're not going to quite get there. Um, A lot of that, that's just assumptions that need to be built in. But we could present multiple sort of versions of that um, to give it to give even more information. I don't know if that would be too much, but um,
2: I certainly think that would be interesting, especially in terms of um, your pace on games, because like you've been saying about pitching, it's very easy to either get ahead or behind now and to work it out. But like we've talked about in some other episodes, if you fall behind, especially, say, on your outfield games, you could be stuck in a position where, you know, you're behind by 20 games now and you need to work hard to make them up by the end of the season. And if you fast forward a couple months and you're 20 games behind in August, you might be in a position then where you're just not going to get them back. And, you know, you're going to want to consider that, too, that at the end of the year, you know, your closest opponent is probably going to max out his games, which will be. Could be an edge of, you know, 50 or 100 points if you're missing 10 or 20 games.
0: Yeah. And, and that can be a huge difference. I mean, we've kind of been harping on that in a lot of our um, a lot of the stuff that we've written, a lot of the stuff we've talked about on the podcast. But it's it's critical to try to max out your, your games played as much as possible because it makes a big deal. A, uh, yeah, big we've difference. seen
2: so many leagues <clears throat> that come down to, you know, in the tens of points, not the hundreds yeah, I mean, as to the first and second place.
0: <laughs> I, I've lost leagues because I didn't manage that well. Because I, because I left games on the table. If I had just, I mean, in fact, there was one league, it wasn't games. It was actually innings pitched where one of the unique rules of auto is you can go over 1500 innings pitched, but only on the day that you go over 1500, you get, you, you get credit for all the innings you pitch beyond it, but only for that day. So if I'm at 1499 and then I pitched 30 innings in that next day, I would get credit for all of those. Um, but then I'll be locked out. I can't get any more points for pitching. So,
2: yeah, I'm sure definitely at, at the end of the season, too, we'll have a special episode kind of yeah. encouraging people to use and how to use that strategy.
0: <laughs> but there was one league that I was in that I was in. I think I was in fourth place and it was getting down to that last day of the season. And I was maybe five innings pitched under the cap. And I had four or five guys that were scheduled to start that day. And I'm like, OK, great. This this should actually give me a pretty good boost. I'll get into third, maybe even second. It was a very tight race. And I think I had like four of those guys get scratched on that final day because it was literally <laughs> the last day of the season. Yikes. And and I ended up in fourth, but I was like three points short of third place. Um, and that's the thing. Sometimes it really is that close. It comes down to the wire. In some of these leagues, it's a very tight race. Um, so every little bit helps. I mean, throwing a couple extra innings or making sure you get those extra games out of your outfield or middle infield makes a big difference. So.
2: I actually had a league um, a couple years ago. I didn't find out until later that I was playing against Mark Sands, who's in the champs league with us now. Uh, and it actually came down first place to just a couple points, um, and there was a lot of controversy that year over who was the rightful winner because there was some question over the innings that people had pitched over fifteen hundred. Yeah. So we ended up basically calling it a tie because it was like within three points of each other and we weren't quite sure what to do. Um, So, I mean, it really does come down
1: to that close sometimes. Well, I I mean, that's exactly right. Every, every edge helps. I mean, whether it's statistically or games played and that's sort of why we created the dashboard just because it it essentially tries to help you dig a little bit deeper into the statistics that are are automatically provided by auto news. So, I mean, here's an example just recently, I added a column, two columns really. I added a column to calculate your games played because it's kind of strange but you know, you accrue points per game, but you, it's really hard in fact. I'm not sure there's an easy way or an obvious way to track how many games You've actually played as a team. I guess you'd have to add them up by position uh, in your lineup. But I've I've added a column for that. So you can track now. I'm looking at the Champs League right now. Um, After you enter your league number in the dashboard, just enter your credit card number and your legal pop up. And uh, that's a joke, by the way. (laughs) Um, But you can see the games played. So I'm looking at it right now. I've played 219 games. Justin's got... 229, and Tom, you've got uh, 212. So we're all within a couple of games from each other. But I also added a a column for at-bats per game played, so you can kind of see how that pace is, because that differs a little bit by team. I
2: always think that's actually kind of a sneaky um, aspect to Adanu, because, like, say if you have a lot of guys that bat at the top of the lineup, you're getting the same amount of games, but you're getting more at-bats and more opportunities to get points that's uh, we nev- never really talked about that a lot but I think that's kind of one sneaky thing to look for if you're considering like a weak hitting outfielder if he bats leadoff or if he bats ninth that could be a big difference
1: well I'm looking at it right now I mean um Brent Daly's got he's got all, just under four at bats per game
0: is that at bats or plate appearance it's
1: at bats. So he's got okay. just. You should probably base it on plate appearances. Well, I don't know if I. Let me see if I can get. I don't know if I can get. You could add. I'd have to calculate. I'd have to. I'd have <laughs> to calculate.
0: Uh, yeah, you'd have to add at bats, walks, and hit by pitch to do. At least you know an estimate of plate appearances. I
1: think I chose at bats because it's a counting stat for for points leagues, but you might be right. I could. Add, I could do that, but he's at just under four, and if you multiply that out, that's. Uh, 7,600 at bats per year, and I'm at, or let's see, the lowest team is 3.56, and so that is 700 at bats less that that team would have uh, for the for the highest AB team right now. So that I mean. Theoretically, that's a seven hundred point difference right there. Yeah, that's yeah. like a whole player. Yeah, it's that's a whole player, or probably uh, one or two spots in the standings. So the dashboard will give you. It's broken into essentially three parts. It will give you the current statistics that you can find in your standings page in your league on your league homepage. So it'll give you sort of a, an advanced look at offense. So. You know, you have average. So this is for if you're playing in a points league, this will calculate your team average, your on-base percentage, your OPS, even your ISO, and uh, your weighted OBA. So um, it calculates all that for you. And it also isolates how many points your team has scored from hitting versus pitching. And one thing I've learned from using the dashboard the last couple of years is almost without fail, I think for the last three or four years, about 55% of a team's points come from hitting. So it's it's fairly balanced. Uh, that's been pretty consistent. And on the pitching side, I've got everything from FIP to WHIP to home runs per nine, which is pretty pretty important in the points leagues. And I've even got a kind of a custom created score for how valuable your bullpen is. And all that kind of adds up to a projection spot that like Justin and Tom just said, it, it gives you your pace of what you're on. And again, I think it's important to reiterate the dashboard doesn't know anything about the makeup of your team. It doesn't know what players you own. So it doesn't know that you just acquired Miguel Cabrera for AJ Reed. It doesn't know it's all it does is takes what is about your team, your points per game and your points, uh, per innings. And it kind of projects those and gives you a pace and gives you some graphs to track that. So if you've just made a big trade, it's likely that your team or it should be likely that your team will uh, begin to make, you know, adjustments and your offense will, will increase vice versa with, or with your pitching as well. And the, 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 dashboard will adjust accordingly, but I pretty much pull this every day. I guess you guys, I don't know how often you use it, but I, last year I pulled it every single day, every morning and just to see how changes were made. So. Well,
0: you know, <laughs> I will say that I have my own version. Um, of the dashboard that I created in, in Sheets based on the one that you originally did on in Excel because um, I, I loved it. And I was like, that's a great idea. And I, I do a lot of my stuff on Sheets, so I wanted to have a Sheets version. And I wanted to have a Sabre version because at the point you first released it, um, it was just for Fangraphs Points Leagues. So I have my own version. It's very simplified. I don't have all the fun reports and graphs that you do on yours. Um, but I have one master Google Sheet where I pull in the standings for every single one of my leagues all in that sheet. And then it links to a summary tab where it shows every single team, some of the key stats and where they're on pace for and what, what their their, uh, you know, projected final finishes all in one sheet. So I open that up every single morning. That's cool. It's like, you know, how did my team do yesterday? And I, and I track like across all of my, I have nine fan points league teams across all those nine teams What's the total pace number for all of them? And that's kind of my indication. All my, all my teams are doing better than they did last week or they, they're doing worse. And and then I track against my competition, obviously, if I'm in first or second or third or fourth. Um, so I have all of my leagues in one sort of master sheet um, and I look at it every morning. So it's it's an invaluable tool to just to kind of give a gauge for you know, how are my teams doing? How is everyone else doing? It can be very easy to spot that, your team's doing really well, but you also have two other teams in that league that are also doing really, really well. So, you know, you're going to have a fight on your hands, you know, right to the finish. Whereas in other leagues, maybe you get off to a hot start and you see that you're kind of, you're kind of pacing everything right now and, and you can kind of keep an eye on your competition, but they're a little bit further back. So that can change your strategy too, is, is how tight the race is and how close everyone else is together um, can really give you a, a sort of a leg up on deciding man, I really need to make a big move right now because I'm, you know, I've got four teams ahead of me and they're all really good. Or I'm in first and I'm projected to be in first by quite a bit. So I can kind of ease off the gas just a little bit to, to not totally blow up my team for the future. So,
2: well, that's actually a, a good segue, I think, to talk about um, our strategies in certain situations. So why don't we move to that a little bit? Let's say your um, your team is starting off really hot and let's say for this scenario, it was a team that you expected to perform well. So you kind of came into the season thinking you had a contender. Now they've started off hot this early in the season. Um, what are you thinking? Are you trying to buy right away now? Or are you trying to, you know, ride it out for a couple weeks and see what's happening still?
0: At this point, usually I'm going to I'm going to pursue whatever strategy I had going into the year. There are certain leagues where I knew I was basically going to be buying from day one. So I will buy now, but it's not because I started out hot. It's just because I was always planning on buying.
2: So you've already been – you would have made a deal to buy already.
0: Right. Um, you know, the only time that might change my mind is if, if I thought I was going to have a good team, I thought I was going to be buying, and then I started out cold, then I might sort of wait and see. And I would have—I kind of switch to a hold uh, strategy. But if, if, if I've started out hot and – okay, I'll, I'll do the opposite. So I have one league where it was a rebuild and I didn't expect to compete this year. And I'm in second place right now. I'm not buying right now because I'm still not sure it's for real. And, and this goes back to what we've already said a couple times in this episode is it's it's been three weeks, you know, basically in the season. It's way too early. Even with three weeks of standings information, even with three weeks of performance, it's way too early to say, wow, I guess my team's a lot better than I thought it was or wow i thought my i guess my team's a lot worse than i thought it was um, it's way too early to to make those decisions so would i buy yes i would buy if it was the right deal even if i didn't think i was going to be competitive this year my team started out hot i would buy if it was the right deal but i would be very careful and very sort of demanding about this is the sort of deal that's going that's going to motivate me to to get off that sort of wait and see attitude it has to be a deal that really sort of says, wow, okay, that's a great deal. I can't pass that up, even though it's early. Um, but outside of that, I'm I'm typically going to be pretty conservative and want to wait until May. Um, I mean, it's sort of just a rule of thumb, but it, like May 1st is a date to at least start thinking about, okay, maybe now the calendar's rolled over, and then I can think about sort of easing off that that attitude of just holding the course for now. So,
2: so in May is kind of when you might start thinking about changing your strategy. Like if your team has been doing the opposite of what you've expected in May, you might start to factor that in a little bit.
0: Yeah. And that's not to say that I haven't made moves in in April because I definitely have, but like I said earlier, a lot of those moves, I didn't make them because I started out hot or started out cold. I made them because I, I was always planning on doing, you know, I was always planning on buying or I was always planning on selling. So.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Trey, do you have anything to add to that? I do. I, I would say that, um, I mean, May, in my opinion, is maybe the most important month in auto new because April, the, the sample sizes are too small. We talked about that. But in my history of running the dashboard, last year, I looked at a sample of, I think, 20 leagues, and I ran them through the dashboard every month just to see where I could figure out where the dashboard was most accurate in projecting who the winner was. And if I remember, I have to go back and look at my research, but I remember that by by June first, the dashboard was pretty good at projecting the, the the league winner, and if not the league winner, the first or second place team. So June first seems to be a very critical kind of key date in the season because, especially, I, it's more. I guess that's probably more impactful in existing leagues. In a a brand new league, I think that's probably less so because so so many of the teams, there should be more parity. But in an existing league, June 1st is really the kind of the the key date in my mind. And so May becomes critical because a lot of teams begin to fall back in early May because they've outpaced their innings. They're starting to um, scale back and trying to figure out If they actually have a competitive team and as they do that the teams that do have good teams i think you start to see them buy a little bit more so a a lot more activity i think happens in may and so i have a couple of teams now that have started off hot that i expected to to do well and i i echo what justin said i'm i'm trying to be conservative part of the reason is because i purposely built those teams with a couple of prospects that i could use as ammunition as the season goes by and i'm really really reluctant to spend those early when while my team is hot because I'm afraid I may need them in a tight race later in the, in the season, especially when I think there'll be more teams that will sell later in the season. So again, going back to the dashboard, I think if you've started off hot, I guess one thing to take away from the dashboard is what do other teams look like? I mean, are there any surprising teams that look like they're the real deal that you didn't expect them to? And again, like Justin said, in the Champions League, I completely came into this season expecting to rebuild or, or planning to rebuild. I'm now in third place. I really don't think it's real, but I'm a little better than I expected. So I'm kind of pleasantly surprised, but I don't expect that to continue. I, I, I'm, I'm not changing my plan to rebuild. I'm just trying to do it more methodically at this point.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I really like the way you just kind of put that to that, you know, maybe being in third place has – changed your mind a little bit that your team's a little stronger than you thought, but it's not totally changing how you think of it. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a fan of 538, the statistical website. Yep. Um, and they've been doing a lot of election coverage. And one of the things they say is that as exit polls come in for different votes, you want to look at what the polling said before. And then I think their model is they factor in 25% the exit polls when you start to get a little information. Um, and what they're saying is that really, you know, the information you had before is not uh, it hasn't become invaluable. It's still almost all of what you're looking at. And then as you get more and more information, you start to change your opinion to the newer information. And I think that's really the time we're in right now. We only have, you know, barely a month of data of results so far. So we're not going to switch our opinions entirely just based on this couple of weeks. We're only going to factor it in a certain small amount.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, we're basically... Um... We're basically just a little bit over ten, or uh, yeah, ten percent of the season has has elapsed to this point. So, I mean, that's 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 a really small sample um, when you're looking at the at a season long level. Um, you know, there's a lot of season left to play. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, like I said earlier, you know, if you've had some injuries, that could really that could very quickly change your idea about how good your team is really going to be. Um, especially if you've lost some of these these big names and all of a sudden your roster looks a whole lot weaker than it did um, as the season kicked off. But uh, short of that, I mean, I think it's just, it's just a really small sample and you've got guys at the top right now that are having, you know, the, the month of their lives basically. And the, and that's not going to continue. Um, you've got guys that you know, are going to be right at the top of the, you know, at the points leaderboard at the end of the season that are really struggling right now. So um you know the the best thing to do is to sort of to still very heavily weight however you thought your players and, and your team overall would were going into the season is still to kind of really heavily weight your opinion now based on that and less on a hot three weeks or a very cold three weeks. So, so I think
2: that kind of segues us to um, the idea of selling too. You mentioned if you had some injuries that could be a big sign, especially if your team might have been on the fence to begin with those injuries could really put you over the fence into not being a great team. Um, So what do you guys think if you're trying to sell now, would you be aggressive trying to sell now in April? Do you think you might be able to get more in May, for example, if you wait till teams are kind of crunching to buy guys, what do you think about that?
1: I'll jump in Uh, just to comment on one thing that Justin said, even though I think Justin and I both sort of said that April is a conservative month because the sample is small. I would also add that it's a it's a super active month, and you should be active in the sense of scouting the waiver wire. I mean, a lot of great players end up on on championship teams in April or early May because they just happen to scoop them up early before they broke out. Uh, That's that's what happened to me a couple years ago when I scooped up Corey Kluber. There's there's other examples I can cherry pick a bunch of them, but um, April's April's an active month and. It's an active month to send trade offers or to have conversations with your league owners because for the most part, every owner should be engaged in April because it's the beginning of the season. And the comments that you get back and the feedback you get back from other owners will also give you an indication of where you, where they think they are in the standings or whether they're a contender or a pretender. So that can be valuable. If, if you have a team that says, I mean, a comment could be made something to the effect of, hey, look, I'm not ready to trade Matt Harvey right now. I need two more weeks to decide if I'm if I'm actually going to be in this thing. And that tells you, I mean, that tells you a lot of information. It tells you, look, I, I could get, if I wait and be patient, I could get Matt Harvey at a discount in a couple of weeks, um, potentially. So you just have to learn to read the team. Going back to your question about selling Tom, if I'm selling again, more teams are engaged in April. So I think you start having those conversations, but even in a league where six of the 12 teams are probably going to sell, I don't think anybody sells real hard until maybe the next two or three weeks, maybe in May. There are some exceptions to that, but I think you'll start to see some traction on selling in the next few weeks. If your intent is to sell and rebuild for the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of these things are, I mean, I, I, I struggle with them myself. I mean, so I don't think there's any clear cut answer to a lot of this is, you know, you get the argument that it's better to, to be the, one of the first ones to sell because then you have the larger market. You're, you're not, um, you know, if you're the last one to sell there, there might not be as many buyers or, or any buyers really. Um, so there's an advantage to selling early. Um, there's also an advantage to the buyer because they're getting more production out of that player that they're buying. They're getting them for longer, during the season, if they buy them in April versus if they buy them in June. Um, But at the same time, right now, as we've said already, the standings are in flux. I mean, even a hot team is, it might not look like a hot team three weeks from now. uh, The standings can flip flop almost completely as we get into May. So there's a lot of risk involved. You may, I mean, I've been in leagues where I said, you know what, I'm going to sell. And then six weeks later, I look back at my team and I said, man, if I kept those players, I would be a competitor right now. I would be in contention for, for winning this league. Um, And the opposite is true as well. I've had some where I've bought and then I've I've never got any better than fourth or fifth place and went, man, I wish I hadn't mortgaged my future because I don't have a chance. And if I just waited a little bit longer. So it's a very, very difficult thing to decide. Is it too early to sell? Is it too early to buy? How long should I wait? But I think Trey's exactly right is a lot of what April is, is laying a foundation. You want to have conversations with teams right now. Even if you're not making deals, you want to at least start laying the groundwork where if those teams decide, you know what, give me three months or three weeks, I need to decide if I'm in this or not. You can have that conversation with them now and sort of let them know like, hey, once you are ready to sell, come to me because I might, you know, I might be the most motivated to make a deal and you can sort of establish that relationship, which is really important. And Trey's written about this a lot about it, sort of establishing relationships with other owners, opening those lines of communication um because a lot of you heard Niv talk about this in the interview is that a lot of this game is really about having a relationship with the other owners and managing sort of the market um that is autenu the, the trade market being a really big piece of that um and those that do that the best are going to give themselves an advantage over the rest of the season so
1: if you're selling too I'll say that you know we're really talking about what are you buying i mean if you're selling good players what are you selling them for I mean, if you're selling players, good players right now, say a, a Ryan Braun or a Matt Harvey or Miguel Cabrera, I mean, you know nothing about prospect. You know nothing more about certain prospects right now than you did at the end of September last year. I mean, there's really not much of a difference. I mean, there will be a few prospects that maybe are making changes. Maybe Joey Gallo has made a change and his K rates down in the 20s now instead of the 40s. I mean, maybe that is going to stick. But you really don't know enough about uh, prospect uh, changes in the way that pitchers are throwing or hitters are hitting this early in the season. So I just caution owners to be careful about going very prospect heavy when you're selling off players because one of the difficulties of selling off early, and I think Justin touched on this, is – Yes, you maximize what you could potentially get in a return because the other team gets the the most benefit of the player that they're they're getting from you. But you also have the least amount of information to work with when it comes to evaluating both major league and minor league players. So the season has a long way to play. Nomar Mazzara looks phenomenal right now. Uh, he's you know he's batting almost four hundred and he's got a couple of home runs. Who knows what he's going to look like a month from now? I mean, he's a great prospect, but the league might catch up to him. We've seen plenty of prospects that have hit very well early on and fizzled later. So uh, that's not a statement on him, just a a comment that you're, you're, again, you're dealing with small sample sizes. So there's, there's sort of this tension and this balance that you have to understand that if the longer you wait, the more you'll know if, um, you know, Lucas Giolito actually, uh, has developed his his change up more than, than any other pitch. I mean, you just don't know yet. And some of these guys, you're starting to see them debut. And so if you're, if you're thinking about selling prospects can be a key to that, but just don't, don't overdo it.
2: Cool. Well, I think that's, um, that's some really good advice. Uh, I have one last kind of topic that I think relates to this a little bit, which is the idea of um, watching out for the other owners, you know, so, I think anybody listening to this podcast, um, a lot of us have fairly similar strategies uh, or say, for example, in the champs league where uh, a lot of us, sometimes we have trouble making deals because we have such similar strategies. Um, But say in another league where you might be playing with either some people that are much more experienced than you or much less experienced than you. um, I think a lot of times there's some benefit to, they say, playing the player, not the game. So to watching out for what the other teams are doing and either reacting to that or kind of knowing when to just let it go and not react to it. Um, one thing that I think is really um, good to watch out for is what I like to think of as the wild card team. Um, so maybe in some leagues you have a lot of teams thinking like us that they're going to wait till May and kind of determine where they're at. But there might be one team that goes ahead and makes a wild card deal, you know, that nobody expected. Um, I think, Trey, you answered this a little bit by saying that it's always good to be making a lot of offers and to be kind of aggressive in communicating with other teams. uh, And that could help you be alerted out ahead of time. Say if you know that somebody's going to go ahead and make a deal, you can get in on it when maybe other teams aren't aware. Uh, Are there any other kind of behaviors that you might watch out from another owner that could give you some information or some intel
1: on them this early? Tom, you're saying by wild card, you mean the team or the owner that isn't all that active or responsive, but then all of a sudden they just drop a bomb somewhere and you're left scratching your head. How, how did that deal even come together without even me knowing about it? Well, and not necessarily
2: that they're inactive, but yeah, that they're like maybe fairly quiet. And then all of a sudden they drop this blockbuster deal and you're thinking like, Oh man, I wish I could have got in on that. I like that player. You know, I would have offered something. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 th- I think you, you hit
1: it there that, that's that's, the, the, that's benefit the benefit of being active and constantly, constantly trying to engage with, with every team, team. team. Even, even if no, if no, if no, no comes deal comes together. together you know, you know the, the, the ratio the the is probably one, one to one to twenty, 20 or less than less than that. Than that. But just just having, just having those conversations, conversations what, because what what you, you described describe is, is what you don't want to happen. If you're in a league where you think that you're competitive, you've got three or four other teams that are absolutely going to be competitive with you. What you don't don't want to happen. You don't want to be on a one-aware of the team that, that, drops that drops that big blockbuster block block and, and sells a bunch of players, players to, to and editor, editor without knowing. I mean, I mean hopefully owners will figure, will figure out, out, that out that it's in that it's their in best their interest to the shop players, players, players over so, 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 so that everybody knows, who's who every buyer and buyer that they can get in on and the deal so that they can squeeze the best possible deal for their team if they're rebuilding. But you're right. If you have a team that just kind of comes out of nowhere and sells off some great players for a relatively small return or without your knowledge, it can really, it's hard to recover from. And I think that's what you were talking about, the the reaction reactionary result. What do you do in that situation? I, I'd, I'd be curious what Justin would think about that.
0: Well, I mean, it, it can be frustrating. Um, I mean, I think we've all been in that situation where, where something goes down and you're there wasn't a lot of warning and that you wish you could have been involved and you know, there's, but there's nothing you can do about it and there's no sense crying over spilled milk. So, um, I, I I agree with Trey. I mean, I think you, that's just another reason that you need to try to reach out and communicate to every single owner to at least let them know, Hey, if you decide to sell, I I would be interested. Um, but I think I, the other point I want to kind of touch on a little bit about this, about reacting to what other people do is, um, I think that makes a big difference as you get as you get later in the season, um, you know, when it gets to be that in that sort of May, June sort of watershed that, that Trey was talking about. Um, it makes a big difference to me if my competitors are making really big buy now win, uh, deals, win now deals um, that has an effect on what I'm going to do. If my competitors are, are really making a big push, I know I have to keep up with them or I'm going to be left out in the cold. So that might ramp up my buying efforts. If I see a a big competitor, um, making a a big trade. Um, and, and the same goes the other way. If I see other teams are selling and they're making big deals, I don't want to be left as a seller without a market to sell my players. So I may try to, to sort of ramp up my efforts. So I definitely react to what other teams are doing. Um, Again, maybe not this early in the season, but definitely in May. Um, it's it's really a sort of a, as, as Trey said, it's really a month of a lot of activity. There's a lot of moving parts. It's still early, and there's still a lot of season left, even as we get into the end of May. Um, but there's really, that's when teams really start to position themselves uh, for the long haul for the rest of the year. And you don't want to be the last one to buy. You don't want to be the last one to sell, um, because usually the market's a lot drier than it was earlier. So um, I definitely pay attention to what my competitors are doing in the sense that that's going to motive, you know, sort of force my hand um, to do certain things. And, you know, maybe I I thought I was a fourth place team and everybody ahead of me just made big buy trades. And then I say, you know what, that's enough for me to decide to shift gears. And now I'm a seller because I, you know, I have a really strong thought that I'm never going to be able to catch them. I didn't think I was going to be able to catch them before. And then they just swung these big deals um, so that kind of seals seals my fate. So um, you have to kind of pay attention to to what the other teams in your league are, are doing and sort of the, the are they on an up arrow or are they on a down arrow? You know, do you expect them to come back down to the pack or do you expect them to get even better because they just made a really great deal? Um,
1: yeah, the only other thing I'd add to that, to what Justin was saying is, you know, it's easy to overreact, especially to big name players. But player acquisitions don't make quite as big of an impact in the statistics or in the scoring as I think we think that they do, at least in my, that's sort of one thing I think I've learned over the last five years of playing is that, yeah, a team can acquire a huge player for a, you know, a prospect or something. And that, it stinks if you're not part of that, uh, that equation. But you know, the player that they acquire is only as good as their improvement over the player that they're replacing in their lineup. And a lot of times that's maybe a couple hundred points. So it might look like, you know, if if Max Scherzer is traded for Nomar Mazzara... You're like, wow, that that could be, you know, a 1,300 point swing. That team getting Scherzer, but you've got to back out whoever their fifth starter is, uh, most likely, and, and and the net gain there is probably a few hundred points. So, just something to think about that kind of slows your reaction time a little bit and helps you kind of find some peace when you see a, another contender land a big a big fish like that.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important to think of on your own team as well that you can't always just bring in a big player and he's going to immediately give you this thousand point boost. Um, Sometimes I think about when I'm trying to trade for a guy that really what's most critical is what we talked about last week, meeting your games cap. So say if I have a team where I might be a little weak at first base, for example, but at the same time, my outfield is a little thin, I would much more prioritize trading for an outfielder where I know that not only is he going to give me an upgrade in points, but he's also going to help me to ensure that I meet the games cap if I am in any danger of falling below that. So I think that's one way to kind of maximize the value of a guy is to try and help him or to try and get a guy that will help you with your depth as well as your, you know, your pure rate production, your
0: points. Yeah. I mean, I agree with, uh, with what, what both of you guys are saying. I, I agree with Trey that there's a lot less of an impact than you'd think with a lot of these, these big deals. Um, and I agree with Tom really, the key is to me that the biggest impacts in those sorts of deals are when you acquire a player that, that plugs a really bad weakness on your team. You know, you have your sixth or seventh starter is, you know, I don't know, just pick some, some terrible pitcher in your mind. And I'm sure you can understand what I'm saying, but um, Charlie Borton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got somebody that, <laughs> that really has no business being on on a roster, but you're forced to, to keep rostering him because you needed the innings. And, and now you just traded for, you know, Chris sale. Um, in the same thing, like maybe you have a really weak middle infield and you just traded for, for Tulewitsky or something. And, and, you know, that's where you get more of the impact is, you know, an incremental improvement. You know, if you, if you trade for Jose Bautista, but you already had a strong outfield, that doesn't really, I mean, yes, it helps, but it doesn't help you as much as if there was a team that, you know, was starting again, some terrible outfielder, that Kevin Pillar, Kevin Pillar <laughs> Billy Hamilton, heaven forbid oh, in a fan points league. You're hurting back. me. <laughs> You know, but if you replace Billy Hamilton with Jose Batista, that's a huge improvement. But less so if you're replacing uh, Domingo Santana with Jose Batista. You know, I mean, it's it's really it's just an incre- incremental improvement at that point. So, and that's where a lot of, I mean, people like to to make a point that the five by five roto leagues are are more interesting because you have those different categories. Everyone's trying to acquire. Um, you know, I need more home runs. You need more stolen bases. So that's we're a natural fit. You know. Um, but i think there's still there's still that strategy in fangrass points because there's still teams that have i have six really really good middle infielders and i'm weak in the outfield and you have strong outfielders not you know so we can improve each other even if it's not a i'm selling you're buying but it's really just a positional swap where each team is getting better um you can still make deals like that in Fangrass points leagues because there is you know it's it's different in football i mean tom and i played football this past year with autou and it's really hard to make a lot of trades in football because there's only a few positions. Um, and then really it's, you don't see a lot of positional trades because they're just, there aren't as many options, but here you've got, you know, 12 lineup spots and 10 pitching spots and there's, there's deep rosters and um, it's pretty easy to find a fit.
2: And there's like six or seven different, very distinct positions. Right, exactly. You know, if you need a shortstop an outfielder is not going to cut it. Whereas in football, you know, maybe you really want a wide receiver, but, you could get a running back and stick them at your flex and it's a lot closer. Exactly.
0: Cause you're really just looking for a flex and it doesn't really matter what position they are. Yeah.
1: All right.
0: Trey, did you have uh, one last point?
1: Yeah. Just add a comment. We talked earlier about the teams that are selling off. I mean, I did that a few years ago, my first time in 2014, I think. And basically what I learned that entire season, I knew that I was going to sell and rebuild the, the whole season. If you're in that situation, I would spend your entire year learning how to scout players better. Whatever you can get your hands on, whatever you can read, learning how to scout prospects and major league players better, spend your whole year getting good at that because that requires scouting the waiver wire constantly. You know, this reliever is being put up for auction. Do do his stats, are they really going to translate? And and are they real or is he sort of just – Having a great month. I mean, things like that, getting better at player evaluation and especially prospecting, it can be fun if you're rebuilding. So, don't panic if you're not in the in the money this year by the end of April. It's not not the end of of the world, and you can certainly come back next year stronger. But not just with a stronger team, but hopefully with a stronger kind of foundation of of how to scout and evaluate players.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. That you know, it's one thing to upgrade your team. But if you're not really super invested, you know you don't need to spend every morning tweaking your lineups to get every last point. You can spend some of that time improving you know, your own general managing skills, essentially. <laughs> that's, that's a really great idea. All right, well, I think uh, we've kind of hit all the topics we want to hit this week, so let's wrap it up. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do our catchphrase. We're at 50 minutes and 32 <laughs> seconds, although that may shorten up a little in the editing process, so I'll try to keep that as close to reality as possible. We'll uh, wrap it up. Have a nice week and we'll be back next week with episode nine.